Ladies and gentlemen, once again, because of the wacky time zone differences, our show was taped before some key matches took place, including Fiji losing 17-29 to Wales in what was a highly competitive contest. It saw the lead switch over twice, and Fiji certainly could have won, but a few penalties at wrong moments ended up being the difference. And as we know, Team USA lost to Argentina, who are a much better team. Now the focus of all USA rugby fans is on Tonga. Coming up next on Rugby Wrap-Up, Mike Friday, George Hook, and Steve Lewis talk Rugby World Cup. Everybody, welcome back to Rugby Wrap Up. Matt McCarthy and Steve Lewis in Midtown Manhattan in the studio. And Stephen, you are just fresh off the boat from Japan, and he took the boat because it was cheaper. Konnichiwa. Konnichiwa, my friend. Uh, origato. As well. Yes, yes. And uh, it's good to see you. You look well rested. Lies for 200, Alex. But Stephen, let's not dilly dally. We have two guests, two major league guests, two big hitters, two heavyweights in the rugby world in Mike Friday, the USA Sevens coach, and George Hook, the man, the myth, the legend. Mike, welcome. Oh, yeah. How are we? Uh, we're good. We're good. Uh, you could change. Your, you've got another uh, extravagant background, I see there, that you've chosen. Uh, <laughs> no, no expense spared, clearly. <laughs> Bare bones Friday. <laughs> uh, and George, let's see what you got. We know that you're going to outshine Mike. Yeah, welcome, in fact, from the most southerly province in Portugal, the Algarve, where I am relaxing in 28 degrees of sunshine, and I don't give a hoot. What happens in Japan? <laughs> Wait, Mike, he's on the road in Portugal. He could figure this thing out with no problem. But anyway, all right. So, guys, just before we get into the Rugby World Cup, Mike and Steve, you're here. You're sevens gods. Mike, USA women's sevens team. Yeah, I mean, fantastic result. Um, home soil, great victory. Uh, second one consecutive for them. So, you know, I think... They uh, they grew through the tournament, but Chetaremba with that big moment in the quarterfinal uh, against Canada, which just I think gave them the belief and the momentum to kick on, and they fully deserved to to win the title. They were outstanding against New Zealand, and then they followed up against Australia, absolutely first class. Yeah, just to echo Mike's comments there. Massive congratulations, obviously. What I thought was interesting though was the the character and the resiliency that they uh, showed. Mike sort of uh, alluded to it. Um, you know, losing to France. Gave him a tough quarter. Chetta actually had a, you know, uh, an iffy play prior to her starring role there. She missed a tackle. They went behind, but boom, she came right back, made that big play. They defended two minutes into overtime against New Zealand. They showed a lot of character to add to the skill, and that was probably the, the, the great thing coming out of the weekend. Women's rugby has been destroyed. Rugby is the only sport in the world where women play with the same size implement as men. They jump over smaller hurdles. They throw smaller discoy. They they do everything that is smaller. Basketball, football, name everything. And they insist on playing with a men's rugby ball, which ensures that goal kicking, punting, and restarts 
are all below par through no fault of the women. And I have to say it all started in America because they wanted equality and it was all BS when they thought the ball would give them equality. Wait, what about Faf de Clark kicking the ball? He's he's a little guy kicking the ball. I'm not touching this one. What I am the, not what touching is that? this one. And, and, and we don't have time to continue on this one. So we're going to go right to the World Cup. There's a segue. French mutiny part deux. George, why don't you start with this? I mean, I don't think it's terribly important, to be honest, because like the French players, the French coach and the French president have always been at odds since de Gaulle marched up the Champs-Élysées in 1945. So, like, this is not new. They got to a cup final in which essentially they didn't pay a blind bit of attention to Marc Livremont. Brunel, having destroyed Italy because he's a pal of the president, becomes coach to France, and he is awful. And no wonder there's a revolution. I mean, I applaud the French, and I it just demonstrates the Irish thing where the Irish players are almost comatose in, in their kneeling before the coach and doing exactly what he wants. <laughs> Three cheers for France and players with actually some testosterone and some courage. Stephen, he's an anarchist. This is right down your social uh, champagne social. More of an anarcho-syndicalist probably, but... Um, yeah, I mean, it isn't really a mutiny thus far, right? You've got these reports, and really it's all been stirred up by Bujalau, right? Toulon owner Murad Bujalau, as usual, just complaining, stirring things up. Um, clearly, Gerardo, the captain, has been dropped, so there's some bad blood there between him and the coach. Well, not necessarily bad blood, um, but some, you know, um, lack of confidence, perhaps. Players have fully come out and said, Gerardo's the captain, he's the skipper, he's the man, even if he's not on the field. Um, so, mutiny, I think... Little too much drama, a little overstated. France, uh, and you know, George is right on that point. They don't really need a coach. Uh, uh, Mike, they don't need a coach. Where was Team USA before you came in and took over the program? A, but B, could this be uh, scripted drama on the part of the France? Could they possibly be huddling and saying, hey, let's act like we're in complete disarray before Le Crunch? I, I just think that the other hooker's playing better than him. So that's why the bloke's getting picked and Carulli's probably accepted it. He's on the bench. He can still be the captain of the squad. He can still be the man that leads leads the, leads the what needs to be led off the pitch to get them where they need to be. What I find bizarre about the French is they've, had, they've played a different halfback combination in every game. They don't seem to be settled in any sort of selection. And, you know, for me, it's... It's kind of the perfect storm, the perfect madness. I don't know what's going to happen in this French-England game in terms of who's going to be playing for either team. I think there'll be fun and games. People will be protected so that they go into the quarterfinals. But all I know is that no team will want France in the quarterfinals. You're, you're, close. you're the closest one to being French here uh, on this show. So <laughs> is... In terms of dress, in terms of philosophy... Just your, your, your joie de vivre. Yes, they are. Right? yes fair okay, enough. Fair Love enough. of champagne. Wait. Do you see this as uh, what Mr. Friday is possibly alluding to as a, a tactical thing in terms of the, nah, the not at all. Not at all. I, and no, what about Tonga, you know, against France you know, and Argentina? They've squeaked by. You know, you just don't know what you're going to get. So I, I don't think there's any, any real malice or forethought here. I don't think there's some cunning, contrived plan that they're trying to pull, you know, put England off their, 
of the game or anything. It's just it's just France. It's just a press looking for a story. All right, let's shift gears to uh, George's adopted nation of Japan versus your Scotland. George, what's your take on Japan Scotland right now? Well, there's only one group in the World Cup, uh, which is this one, in which there is any lack of certainty about the two teams that are going to qualify. It could, I mean, there's, the number of permutations are manifold. It could actually turn out that you had three teams on the same number of points, then we're down to points difference, we're down to all sorts of calculations to get who gets through. Um, the key thing for me really is um, that... Japan are on a roll. No matter how Townsend dresses up what Scotland are doing, you cannot say that they are on a roll. Their performance against uh, Samoa was abject, uh, were it not for the conventional awful refereeing, which has bedeviled this competition. It wouldn't have got a bonus point anyway. Two of the tries were penalty tries. One of them wasn't a penalty try. They are awful. And unless the interesting thing about Japan, which I don't think has actually been given enough looking at, is I don't think they played very well against Samoa. They kicked the ball far more, maybe three, four times as much as they did against Ireland. They played much more like the way they played against Russia, which leads you to believe, understandably, they are under incredible pressure now to deliver uh, by this nation. And I think the one thing Scotland have going for them is, is just like a golfer trying to hold a putt to win the Open Championship, um, Japan are under pressure. But you have to think that if this team plays the way it can and actually delivers, Scotland having a prayer. Stephen, i got to give you a shot to answer this. Uh, Samoa versus Japan drew 40% of the eyeballs, apparently, in Japan on TV. This one's going to draw more. What are they going to see? Well, well, let's go back to Samoa, Japan, and let's discuss the last time any scrum anywhere was pulled up for a squint feed. Never mind under the Samoan <laughs> posts in overtime. They got a free kick. Then they couldn't convert it. They got another two penalties. Now, Roman Poit is... I won't say what that rhymes with, but he's well-known in Scotland, <laughs> and he has, a bit of a, he has a bit of an ongoing feud with Laidlaw. I'm not suggesting uh, there's anything untoward about his attitude, but uh, it was a very, very strange decision. And not suggesting, you're yeah. clearly suggesting. Yeah, I am. Yeah. Anyway, moving forward, Scotland have beaten Russia, comes down to Japan game, and as a veteran, 55-year-old man, having watched Scotland play in World Cup since rugby and football my whole life, they're going to beat Japan, and they're going to go out on bonus points or something like that. I'm with you. I'm with you, and I have said on camera that Japan are the most overrated team in the tournament and been completely wrong, so don't waste your money betting on what I say, ladies and gentlemen. You know, I'm more interested in making sure that these last pool games go ahead irrelevant of whether there's typhoons or not because I think that just throws the cat completely amongst the pigeons if, you know, we get to the final pool games and for some reason or another a typhoon might delay it for 24 hours, which creates a result when really there's enough time between the quarterfinals and waiting 24 hours for those games to be played. So I think there's a, a number of things going on this weekend which can make it a, a kamikaze crazy last weekend of, of the pool games. Stephen, 30 seconds before our commercial break. Typhoon Haggis, change course. 
It's going to affect the Ireland game. Now it's going to affect the Scotland game and the England game. And appropriately been na- renamed Typhoon Haggis. Look it up, folks. Uh, but on that note, we have to take a quick break for our balance between entertainment and paying the bills. So stay with us. We'll be right back. If you're in New York City and want to watch some great rugby, have some great food, and some great times, go to the world's best rugby pub, The Pig & Whistle, on West 36th Street. And we are back with Steve Lewis in the studio, Mike Friday and George Hook calling. And, gentlemen, we were talking about a typhoon before we went into break. George, will there be more... Irish worried about a typhoon, measles, or Samoa? I don't think um, this uh, pool is in uh, Ireland's hands. I think they will beat Samoa. Uh, They will struggle uh, because basically Ireland are awful and they are so predictable and they will crash bang wallop for about 80 minutes and they will score four tries from a total number of meters of 10 as they crash over from two meters range each time and they will beat Samoa and get a bonus point. The key match is Scotland versus Japan. I don't believe for a second that Scotland can get four tries against Japan. It's just not going to happen. They could beat Japan. I, that's possible. But but we're into points here. And that leaves um, Scotland with just 14 points. And that's not going to be enough. Um, I, I also think Japan could get a losing bonus point. And for, for listeners who aren't, you know, mathematicians here, let's not make it overly complex. But one audience. thing is absolutely certain. One thing is absolutely certain. When the last whistle blows, this is going to be a numerical computation rather than a simple win, lose, or draw result of, of the Ireland game and the Jap- Japanese game. I, I think it's possible. I think it's very slim, but possible that Scotland could win if Japan go into their shell. But if Japan can play like I know they can play, then, you know, Scotland have no chance. Michael, as people always say, A-B-E, anybody but England, I thought I'd give you a fair shake and weigh in on whether you'd like to see Scotland or Ireland advance. Well, I think Ireland will advance. I, I didn't they, ask they that. Will. I didn't ask. I said, who, who would you prefer out of Ireland and oh, Scotland as an Englishman to advance? I would prefer Ireland really? to advance. Really? But purely and simply because I've got a bit of Irish in me. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's usually a follow-up joke that we're going to skip there. But, Stephen, what do you have to say to that? That's unsurprising. Unsurprising. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, you got a player of the tourney so far? I think four tap three very good games for England. Um, he's He's... He's attacked very well and flat to the line and, and, and had good attacking variations to his game. So George Ford has, has surprised me with his performances. I, I haven't seen anybody really stand out across any of the teams. I have to agree with that. Um, in my sort of, you know, stupefied days this morning trying to get back on time, I actually watched South Africa-Canada. And this South African scrum have scored a hat-trick in like 18 minutes. Um, I wasn't really aware of him. He looked like, and he's behind Faf de Klerk, but he, Kobus Reinach, I think yeah. it was, yeah. Um, so that was a great performance, but over the, over three, four, over the pool stages, I don't, I don't think so yet. 
Well, the reason Ford is the outstanding player in the tournament so far is he went to Japan not certain he was going to nail down the number 10 shirt. It was always going to be Farrell's shirt, as it were. Ford has now, in my view, nailed it eh, by three outstanding performances. If you want to fly half, you need to fly half, recognize the space, can tactically kick, and can organize a backline. All three, Ford does stupendously well. And I think he's had a wonderful World Cup, and he is dare I say it, an old-fashioned fly half. He's not 220 pounds. He's not six foot four. He is the old type of fly half that Wales used to pro- provide on a conveyor belt. George, you know, you do you do know it's the 2019 World Cup, right? <laughs> I mean, this constant, you know, hashing back the Welsh fly halves of yore or pint-sized, you know. They, they haven't been tens. small for a while. They haven't been small for a while. But... How about, we, something. How about something. naming somebody We're from Japan, for God's sakes? We didn't name anybody from Japan. They had the biggest win in the tournament. They, they stand to win three wins, three wins and then go on to the next round, or not go on to the next round again. But, we, but like, you asked me to pick him. You didn't ask me to pick a Japanese player. I didn't ask you to pick Ford. The right winger for Japan, I think, has got something, but I haven't seen enough of them. Yeah. Final thoughts in this, uh, this riveting uh, segment of Rugby Wrap-Up. Uh, Michael, why don't you take this lead here and bring us into the promised land? I, I am I'm, I'm so interested to see what uh, England and France do in terms of selections, you know, whether they protect players, because... I think the last team England want to play in the quarterfinals is Wales um, because I think Gatland's got the mind games over over England and I think the Welsh team are hungry to play England in the quarterfinals and I think if uh, and, and I think Wales and uh, Australia will be desperate to avoid France so it'll be it'll be, it'll be interesting in terms of the team selections that's that's an intriguing one for me what Eddie Jones will do with Billy Vilapola. What he will do with the outside backs? He's going to play uh, him until he dies. Well, I, th- I think he'll rest him this week, and and I think he'll bring Wilson in. Um, and I think because he'll get him ready for what's going to be an epic quarterfinal. And I think Wales, will be, if they can keep their team fit, they're going to be a proper handful come knockout time. Because the favourites to make the semi-finals, New Zealand and South Africa, I, I, I see them kind of eschewing for the semi-finals, and I just think the other two quarterfinals are going to be interesting. So we're somewhat remiss that we haven't actually discussed the Eagles, Gary Gold's boys. They've been out there doing their bit, improved performance against France. Uh, they're finishing up against Tonga this weekend, and obviously that's a scalp they, they want to take, they need to take, and I think they will take, despite Tonga's improved performance against uh, France. Yeah, this is a tough one, and, and I'd like you guys to weigh on the U- USA versus Tonga because I've said all along that a successful tournament for Team USA doesn't necessarily translate into a win, and after watching Tonga, Take France to the wire. I just don't. I don't. That expectation is a tough one. This this tournament, U.S. shouldn't be in this tournament, and neither should Canada, neither should Namibia, uh, and and the other teams. There is no value whatsoever in a tournament in which teams have been beaten by sixty or seventy points. L- let me ask you a question. Yeah. yeah. Should Should Fiji be in the tournament? I think that there should be sixteen teams. 
and whoever the best 16 teams are, put them in it. But, like, don't tell me that USA, Canada, Namibia, et al. But Uruguay beat Fiji. Look, I don't care who beats who. I'm telling you, it is should be a 16-team <laughs> tournament. Why not make it a 24-team Okay, all right. Tournament? No, I don't disagree with you on 16 teams, but if it is a 16-team tournament, Team USA would be in the tournament. Good for them. <laughs> but I'm just telling you that four years from now, all the money, all the effort, all the talent in America, male and female, will be playing sevens and not fifteens. Mike, as your fellow uh, coach under the USA Rugby umbrella, Mr. Hook uh, stated, do you have a counter to that at all? Well, I just think that the 15s is a slower burn for, for the USA and we've got to get the front five athletes. I do think USA have got a, an opportunity against Tonga because I don't think Tonga is disciplined in the set piece, uh, both at scrum time and at line-out drive time and line-out defence. And I think if we can break the game up and we can uh, we can show and illustrate that we're a fitter team, that we can, be, we can play some uh, continuity in, in the attacking game, then I think USA can cause Tonga problems and can possibly get that win because they're not going to get strangled in the set piece and at scrum time like they have been with the other games in the group. And that's the, that's the change in tactics that hopefully um, Gary and the team can get in place for that Tonga game. Stephen, Rugby X kicks off at the end of the month and you've got the likes of Haskell and Delaglio or Delaglio uh, talking about it. October 29th. What is, um, what, is your, what is your opinion of this? I think it's uh, yet another variation of the game that is not needed. Um, I get some of the indoor part of it. The, you know, I, I just think it's, it's a distraction. Um, it deters from promoting. When you're trying to go out and sell professional sevens and here now you're having to explain away yet another version yeah. of the game. You've got tens. You've got this super sevens nonsense. You've got this. It, it's too much. It's too much. I'm getting sick and tired of just explaining that it's not Aussie rules football. Mike, this this competes directly with you or doesn't, and, and is it a factor? Um, I mean, we're going to participate, so we'll, we'll understand what the game can do. Harumph. I think it's more akin to arena football. That's the, the way I'd explain mm. it. So I'm not convinced, but I'm 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 not going to be put off by it until I've actually participated and seen. I think it has the capability to be an entertaining corporate event for over three hours under under the bright lights indoors, so it can be like razzmatazzy, a bit like a, a arena football could be. But what's the surface? It, it's going to be a Deso 4G. So the reality is, it it will be a decent surface, but it will never replace sevens, and it will never replace fifteens. George, are you still with us, to, or did your head pop? Mr. Stephen Lewis put it immeasurably better than I could ever do, and I <laughs> There is no figuring how he's going to respond, because you think he's going to... And there he is, the beauty, a consummate pro. All right, gentlemen, thank you very much. I think, I like to say any rugby is good rugby because I have a show, but this one's like the WWE attempt, and... Uh, I don't know. Not I'm, feeling it. Not, not feeling not it. Not feeling it. And again, it's like, okay, are we going to keep watering down the product or are we going to beef up what we got? Anyway, thank you, gentlemen. On, on behalf of all of you, Mr. George Hook, Mr. Mike Friday, Mr. Stephen Lewis, back from Japan. I'm Matt McCarthy here for Rugby Wrap-Up in Midtown Manhattan, signing off. <laughs>